Hi folks, it's Katie here from 99 Problems, but a boss ain't one. Before we crack on with the episode, I just wanted to apologise for the poor sound quality on my side in this episode. Like a dunce, I recorded using the computer microphone rather than the normal podcasting microphone in an already echoey room. So the sound quality isn't great. I've tried to edit it as best I can, but there are places where it is a little bit muffled or a little bit echoey. However, this has been one of my favourite episodes that I've recorded with Michelle. So if you can bear with the sound, I think you'll get some really great tips and insights all around decision making. And now on to the episode. Hello and welcome to 99 Problems But The Boss Ain't One, the podcast that tackles your freelance challenges one episode at a time. I'm one of your co-hosts. Katie Carlisle and I run a freelance website design and training business under the new brand of Squarespace Queen. My name's Michelle Pratt. I'm a personal and management development trainer and coach and my business is Dive Deeper Development. And today we're going to be talking about decisions, decisions, decisions. So there's lots of famous examples of well-known people who basically eschew the decision-making process. So Steve Jobs, famously wearing the same outfit, Mark Zuckerberg does the same thing in order to have one less decision to make. So is that something that we should be trying to emulate as freelancers or is there a better way to manage decisions? We're going to be looking at all the things to do with decision-making as a freelancer in today's episode. So Michelle, what what are the main problems with decision-making? Yeah, I mean, decisions are shown, aren't they, to um, cause a lot of fatigue, decision-making fatigue. And it's really nice that these days we're talking about uh, the traditional division of labour in the home and that women, um, although have not gone out in the workplace, have had all the mental... Still, to this day, Katie, have more of the mental load of making decisions about various things in the household. And it's tiring. Um, Decisions take up a lot of conscious effort on the part of our brains and our conscious processing power is extremely limited. So one of my favourite books to recommend to people is Your Brain at Work by David Rock and he says that we think we spend most of our day using the conscious part of our brains and that's not actually true we spend most of the day using the unconscious or automatic processing part of our brains and we tend to do very little with the conscious part because it is so tiring And so he says, look, we have limitations to how much we can consciously think and doing things like decisions. And he says there's such a thing as decision fatigue, which I know, Katie, we mentioned before, we've both moved house while doing this podcast. And you know how many decisions you've got to make. It's just ridiculous. Yeah. You feel you feel feel shattered even though you haven't physically done a great deal. You haven't even started packing yet. So he says we the, the way we should approach it is that we have a limited number of good decisions that we can make, a limited capacity or capital for decision making, and we need to allocate it uh, very wisely, just like you would with time or money, for example. So he thinks you should respect the limited attention and work out what to do with it, and therefore be mindful of your decisions. Okay, so that's interesting. So, like, kind of mindful decision making. That 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 could, I feel like that could be a new trend, like with with mindfulness. Yeah, Mind, definitely. Mindful decision making. So, so would that be more like cons- kind of considered decision making and only making the decisions that you absolutely have to make, or how would that work? He, well, he think, one of the things David Rock says in his book is just to keep the op- optimal number of decisions down. So the less choices you have or the less options you're weighing up, the better it reduces the load on your brain. And so therefore, yeah, think about the things that need your conscious processing power very carefully. And so, you know, choosing, uh, you know, how, many ti- how much time do I spend choosing a paint colour with my wife? And it's like 10 different shades of the same damn colour. And that that can take up loads of energy and time and it doesn't really have much different effect. So certain things we should probably not put too much conscious effort in and others we should probably uh, reserve that effort for the more meaningful decisions in our our businesses as freelancers, I guess. Kind of like deciding what to decide about, if you see what I mean. Deciding what you should be deciding upon. And so Michelle, you've been reading the recent book from Marie Kondo, who was obviously known for her kind of tidying up stuff. But she's got a new book about sparking joy in the business world. And in that, she talks about decisions, doesn't she? 
She does. It's really interesting, actually. So it's called Joy at Work. It's by Mary Kondo and a guy called Scott uh, Sonnenschein or Sonnenschein. Sorry, I'm not really good with these names. And um, kind of she's kind of brought her Mary Kondo bit to tidying your actual physical workspace. And then Scott is helping her with apply it to some of the more psychological aspects, such as tidying time, tidying meetings, tidying your network and tidying decisions is one of the things they've put on there. And it's slightly similar to some of the other work I've read on decision making but she has a but she puts a home con marry method into it which I quite like so she says um you should try and journal and make a note of all the decisions you have and you could keep them on Trello for example every time you find yourself deciding on something or she says index cards and you know that thing she does in the Netflix series where she makes people take all of their clothes out of the wardrobe and put them on the bed to see the enormity of what they've got she suggests doing this with your meetings your network but she said do this with your decisions as well track your decisions have them on little cards and literally go through them sort them into piles and work out which ones spark joy but she does have some practical uh, applications as well so she said you should put them into three piles so you're kind of your high stakes low stakes medium stakes and then once you've got all your decisions out in front of you see if you can actually sort through them so for example the high stake ones pretty straightforward if they're high stakes uh, if you really desperately need them for your business you can't not make them she says put those to one side obviously you need to keep them but she says the low stake ones can you get rid of them so things like I don't know, choosing a font for your PowerPoint presentation. I know I've been guilty of that. Choosing your ba- brand of st- stationery, which brand of, which notebook are you going to buy or which hotel are you going to choose? Once you've whittled your hotels down to three in the same area at the same price, does it really matter? And so she had some su- suggestions for that. I mean, one of the ones I think would be good for low stakes decisions is to just make it. So I think a good takeaway was if a decision isn't really going to add that much value to your life, there probably isn't a perfect decision or there's probably more than one good decision so don't waste your time just crack on and make it another suggestion was to automate it now Katie you're a bit of a bit of a queen of automation are there many things that you've automated decisions that you've made yeah I love a bit of automation or just even setting up a process to avoid having to make decisions and I really like that um so I think yeah anything where you can you can set something up to like so like on freelance folk for example which is my side project that I run, like a community for freelancers. Um, I had all these emails in my inbox, and I was, and, and so I, I kind of like left it alone because the psychological burden of having to sort of then go in and decide what to reply to each one. And that's obviously the high priority ones. But then there were some that were like, oh, would you like to do a collaboration, or oh, would you like to do a guest post? And like they were kind of, you know, they weren't just the generic spammy ones. There were some that had actually been written, you know, quite targeted to me and could potentially be useful, but I was kind of a bit like, oh, I don't, I don't have the time to think about it right now. So what I've done now is set up an email, automatic email responder that says, right, thank you for getting in touch. If you are, if you are asking about a collaboration, here are the type of collaborations that I would consider. If you're wanting to write a guest post, please note I'm only taking submissions from members at the moment, um, blah, blah, blah. If you are a member, here's the kind of posts that I would be interested in having. Um, if you want me to like endorse a product, then I, these are the kind of credits that I like to endorse. If it might take a while to get back to you, if it's not urgent, if you haven't heard from me about two weeks, assume that I'm not interested in a nice way. And that just was so helpful because it just took the pressure off applying. And it means that, you know, at my leisure, I can then go through and kind of go, okay, that seems interesting, that seems interesting. But I don't feel the obligation to write a reply and have to decide how to let them down gently or whatever. So that things like that just take the weight off your mind, I think. I like I like that idea of just making a decision once and going with it. So, you know, you can still give each person a personalized reply, but like you say if you've got on a on a document somewhere, if you find yourself explaining the same things like your pricing or your policy or or like you say your response to requests, you it, you know, you can still give a personal touch but just copy that bit of information in. Mm-hmm. I I do, I do that with LinkedIn. If someone I don't know request to link with me on LinkedIn, I've got a copy and paste response that I put in. Uh, to people I don't know to say oh hi why did you reach out I just copy and paste it in. I still personalize the beginning and end but um it saves me thinking do I know this person should I connect with them it's like oh to hell with it I've got a response personalize it put it in and I don't have to worry about that anymore I don't think and that's one of the reasons I have my pricing on my website as well because putting together quotes I find really stressful because again it's that decision of like okay right how much should I charge for this 
and I, I have a tendency to want to undercharge everybody or nothing. So it just means that I can say, my prices are on my website, go and have a look. I don't need to decide if I'm going to give you a better deal or not. You just go on the website and look. And if it's not for you, it's not for you. And I think one of the things that I really like is just having like a policy. And when I say that, I don't mean like a necessarily a formal written policy, but just like a policy of like, these are the kinds of businesses I will not work with. These are the these are the types of projects I will take on. These are the types of projects I won't take on. Um, this is what I consider reasonable. This is what I don't. Like, just having kind of set policies. And I guess it's kind of like values, but I think it is slightly different. It's almost like pre-decisions that you're making to say, if someone got in touch with me and said, what would I do? It's almost kind of deciding that flowchart ahead of time. And you could even write a flowchart if you wanted to. Um, but actually just having it so that, yeah, you kind of, it's almost setting out the rules. I'm a very rule-oriented person. And so just having those kind of rules for me, they're not written down anywhere, but I know what they are. So if somebody asks me, oh, can you do this? I don't have to think about it. I just kind of go, oh, actually, I don't take on that kind of project. Or um, like for me, it's a retainer work. I don't do retainer work apart from like, I literally have one client and it's the people I used to work for. It's a different relationship I have with them. And so it's really easy for me to say, no, I don't do retainer work because I have that as a sort of policy, but it's not written down anywhere. So I think that's, that's one way of automating it without actually using technology. It's like automate your decision-making process with a flowchart or with a, with a formal or informal policy. So if you find yourself always struggling with the same decisions, can you then look for any patterns in those decisions and then put together, you know, I am willing to do this, I'm not willing to do this. So, you know, would I do a discount for a charity? Yes, I would consider that. Um, but would I do a discount just for some random corporate person who wants to get something on cheap? No, I wouldn't. And just things like that, I think, really help. Yeah, I think it's also quite good to batch decisions uh, uh, as well, potentially, uh, and just kind of make them all together. So like you could, one of the things I started to do is like eating healthy is important to me, but I know if I don't, uh, I plan it on a Sunday or on the weekend, and it might only take 15 to 20 minutes now, but just to plan my meals for the week, not because I want to make it boring. I want to know that I'm going to have nice stuff to eat. But if I plan it, we shop for it. And then I don't have to spend my time in the evenings when my brain is dead or first thing in the morning, get up and I'm going to work out, oh, what's for breakfast? Like you just, I know what my options are and I could just go in and do it, which they seem that things like seem unimportant in the scheme of a business. But I think the more you can take some of these off your, off your mind or off your to-do list, I think it just allows the whole thing that David Rock is saying. I think Tim Ferriss has said similar. It just gives you more mental capacity for the stuff that's really meaningful as well. And also, like I think I mentioned on the previous episode, like when I go on holiday, for example, I've planned everything really like meticulously in advance. And, you know, I was saying last time that part of the reason for that is actually in order to give me a sort of starting point, but then I can be flexible with it. But another part of it is because I don't want to spend the first hour of every day when I'm on holiday planning and deciding what we're going to do on that day. If I've decided, if I've got a sort of base level plan of what we're going to do, it just takes the decision-making out of it. It means I can actually go and enjoy stuff rather than being stuck because we haven't decided what we're going to do and everything else. So I think with business stuff, it works in the same way. It's like, you know, if you wake up, we've talked in the past about knowing how you work and working when it's best for you and things like that. And for a lot of people, you know, doing your most important tasks, getting them out of the way first thing can be really helpful. Like there's that kind of eat that frog approach where you do your most important tasks or the most significant thing or difficult thing first and then you've done it and that's out of the way the rest of the day so if you have to start your day making a ton of decisions before you can actually get to the really useful work then that's going to hinder you potentially so i think anything you can do to actually make the decisions ahead of time like i know some people write things down the night before so it's not like you have to make it weeks in advance but just to then wake up in the morning knowing what you're going to do sort of point and click off you go it's, uh, but that's good, Kate. I like, I like that. I think, you know, even on a Friday, you get your planning ready for next week. So when you sit down at the first thing on a Monday, don't, I, would, I would just scan the email for emergen- emergencies. And if I know what I'm working on at each part of the day, I can just crack on and do it. So things like that do lighten the mental load quite a bit. Um, so, yeah. So can you automate? So the small decisions, yeah, don't waste your brain on them. Can you just make the decision? Can you automate it? Can you re- repeat old decisions? But the other one is like, 
there are some decisions that just spending more time in them just won't make a better decision. And I think sometimes we prevaricate over stuff and give it a lot of thoughts. I mean, particularly if you're shopping. So sometimes I'm buying fairly low cost I, in the grand scheme of things, things for my business, like maybe I'm buying a backup headset for the one that I've just bought, or maybe just buying, you know, a, a mic, just a cheap one to plug into my microphone. I do a lot of research, but the, once I get to the point where I know the right price range and the right features, one's probably just as good as the other. It's probably better just to accept that there are multiple good answers and make your decision and, and deal with it. So when you say just make the decision, how do you actually make it? just like literally like sticking your finger on a map kind of approach to travel just once you've got your choices down to a few and you think any one of these would work pick the one whatever one you're leaning towards for whatever and then just go with it if they'll all do a job to the right spec there might be some additional features which might be nice and then some of the others might have features which might also be good but it's probably not going to improve the quality of your work in order to to think on it any further so anyone will do um yeah my, my dad's a kind of decision maker that he has all the copies of which magazine and he keeps them in folders and he hangs on to them and if my dad's buying something he'll like spend two weeks making the decision and do a, sh- a shed load of research and i'll probably just i'll probably just spend like 24 hours 48 hours sleep on it and then make it um and i'm, I'm no worse off yeah i think like it's really interesting because like w- because i try and factor sustainability things into my like into my decision making as much as possible that adds like an extra level of pain into researching things as well and so I think it's that like it's not just the financial and the quality it's like oh and am I making the right decisions sustainably should I even be buying this thing and and so yeah I think yeah it's just I, I I'm definitely one of those that sort of and what I'll do is actually I'll I'll research something for quite a while and then I will just like just like almost impulse buy it the next time I go back to it. So it's kind of like, yeah, I'll start off by doing loads of research for like two weeks or something. And then I'll maybe leave it for a bit and I'll go back to it. And I'm almost like so sick of it. I'm just like, right, I'm just going to trust my former self almost. So be like, right, any of these shortlisted ones, a bit like you were saying about just making a decision. I'm kind of like, right, I trust my former self that any of these would be fine. I'll just, yeah, just choose one of them yeah trust trust that past katie was uh it was making uh good good sense when she made that decision and i just told you i just bought a headset that was quite expensive um but do you know what i do i bought a previous one that was kind of mid-price and it um it let me down and i was really quite annoyed so i probably could have done more research at the expensive end of what i was buying but i knew what i'd found had met my specifications i knew for sure it was going to do a good job and i would know that i wouldn't have to spend any more time going to the post office returning an item dealing with frustrations that were caused by the faults so i've paid more money could i've got one cheaper that also ticks my boxes probably would I have made that money back, you know, in the time that it took me to faff around, go to the post office and make that decision? No, prob- probably not. It was probably cheaper and quicker to do it. Yeah. And we talk a lot about like opportunity costs and things on this podcast, don't we? And I think that's the thing. It's kind of the, the mental load or the opportunity cost of time. You know, time is a really important thing when you're making decisions. If it takes a long time, what else could you be doing with that time? And so I think it is sometimes weighing up like, okay, what is the risk if I take a long time to make this decision? What am I losing out on? What is the opportunity cost? Like you, like you often say, Michelle. So I think like in your case, yeah, you, you decided that you were going to make a decision that you felt confident in because you could have actually come to the same conclusion after spending a day researching it. But then you've lost a day of time. Yeah, and I, 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 did it cost a bit more money? Yeah, but probably not so much that it would affect the quality of my business expenditure. It, it hardly notice in the grand scheme of even a month. So yeah, what's the what's the difference? So I, I, I'm one of those people that I would, I factor grief and you know the grief and the absolute irritation of a decision, and the time that it takes away from doing stuff that I enjoy, along with like kind of the money and the rational stuff. Do you know what I mean? I think there's a real value to the to the stress something causes you, and I just get bored after. A while okay i just get so bored after a while it's like here i go again we're going over and over so yeah but being married to my wife is good she's less impulsive than me so she sometimes makes me stop and think but otherwise she's yeah it's nice to have someone uh, alongside you with those decisions that will make you stop and think yeah yeah exactly and can like kind of remind you if you're not in a good place to make decisions i'm looking at you drunk michelle bulk buying sweets 
Yeah, no, that was a great decision. I'm very sound with that. I'm really making good drunk decisions. Who doesn't want 30 bags of squashies? It went down the store. Um, speaking of making you think, um, you read a book called Don't Make Me Think. What was that What was that about? Yeah, so it's actually a book that's, designed, that's written for web designers. But I think a lot of the, the kind of the basis of it would apply to decision making because that's kind of what it's about for the website stuff. So the premise of the book is that if you're designing a website or app or anything like that, anything where you're kind of asking people to interact with something online, you basically want to, to make the mental load of your end user as easy as possible. So in the book title kind of says it all really, it makes me think so that's taking it from the perspective of the person who is using the website. So one of the things that used to be a big thing was like, oh, you can't ask people to do too many clicks when they go to a website to get from A to B. And one of the things that the book actually says is doing more clicks with easier decisions can actually be better sometimes than fewer clicks with harder decisions. So if it's a really obvious choice to make, then people are willing to spend more clicks to get to it because it's an easier decision. So if you've got like 10 different options on your homepage, that's really overwhelming for people. And it's because of this decision-making fatigue and the, and the overwhelm that comes with it. Because, okay, I have to choose between 10 things. Okay, well, I need to go and figure out which of those things are. And maybe I need to understand what each of them is and everything. Whereas if you've got a choice between two things to start with, maybe it's a slightly, you know, bigger bucket. You know, do, like, so from, just using me as an example, like I could say to people, like, do you want web design or training? Now, within that, there's lots of options. But I'm not going to show them all the options on the front page because I'm always... They almost don't have enough information to make those decisions. It's about providing the relevant information at the same time as giving them a, a sort of relatively easy decision to make. And then kind of funneling them down to the narrower parts of it. I just think that's so relevant to decision making because it's that thing of like, if you wouldn't inflict that on other people, are you doing it a little bit to yourself as well? You know, are you giving yourself the, are you giving yourself almost too many options to start with? Or can you get you know, can you can you just can you break it down? So like one of the books that I always talk about on the podcast is um, Getting Things Done by David Allen. And that's essentially it's a book about productivity, but actually a lot of it follows what we've talked about so far. So he says, get all your tasks and put them on index cards and work out which ones that are, you know, which ones to do, which ones to delegate, which ones to schedule and so on. I think he says do, diarise, delegate and dump. Uh, his kind of four things that you do with it but one of the things that he says that i think is just that that's probably been the most useful thing i've ever read in terms of business books is what is the next action so that's you know it's about breaking a task down into what's actually something achievable and bite-sized and not too scary and what's manageable so you can actually physically do and i think we can do the same with decisions so if you've got a big decision can you break it down into a smaller decision or almost a sort of wider decision so rather than what specific headset to buy could you narrow it down by brand or by feature first and just make an easy decision you know a, a, a smaller decision and then once you've got that you can even take a break and then revisit it so you don't have to spend all of that mental energy on the state at the same time so with decisions there's a way to break it down into into chunks to then kind of make it one decision can you make it into four smaller decisions for example yeah i like that idea because we've talked about that before haven't we breaking goals down or break it like you was talking about productivity yeah. um don't set yourself a big goal set yourself a small goal with the first step and i was uh, talking to a coaching client last night who's got a very big decision to make and he's but he's 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 really on it and he just said right i'm always looking for the first step michelle so he really got it made the decision easier he doesn't know how to make the big decision but he's looking for the first step and once you know and he's really good at that so he just each time he has to make progress he look he decide makes the first decision and then he'll worry about the next decision and i think it's a great way to go i love the idea of actually yes um not just making fewer decisions or you know perhaps making more decisions but making each one more manageable that's i haven't really thought about that before and i think that's kind of useful as well katie because i because i think sometimes what we all do is we can, can be guilty of at certain times of our lives of just spending too long on seemingly small decisions. And if you're someone who struggles to make decisions, you may find yourself spending a long time on very, very seemingly tiny stuff. So Kate and I were just 
chatting before about, you know, perhaps if we're feeling emotional, um, that we might struggle to make even the simplest of decisions. If it's that time of the month, I struggle sometimes with what clothes to wear. It makes no difference. I've worn them all before anyway, but I just can't decide what to wear for no reason whatsoever. So I think if you're spending a lot of time on seemingly small decisions and they feel like effort, I think there's probably an emotional reason. So are you trying to aim for perfection? Are you worried about not delivering perfection when actually you know 80% will do? Is it procrastination? Are you putting off something either through fear or are you just putting off the inevitable or the unpleasant? I think when we struggle to make uh, those decisions, there's normally, or you're hiding from a decision, I think there's normally an emotional reason. And I think sometimes if those decisions feel hard, the small ones, then I think we probably need to focus on the emotion and maybe face up to that before. Otherwise, I think it will just leak into to every little decision that you make and I think that can end up being a lot slower in the long term yeah exactly like I, I know for me fear of making the wrong decision is like a massive issue like you know that kind of regret feeling of making the wrong decision um and thinking like oh okay yeah gonna do the right thing like or even the worry about not making a decision as well like so actually kind of can go the other way so sometimes I'll be like Oh, but if I make a decision, then something might happen. So it's like, yeah, I think my, my worry is around the consequences and how I'll feel in the future. But then the problem is that impact on how I feel now. Yeah, I was talking to a friend and he, he had a coaching client who um, he was an army general and he just spent his whole day making decisions. Then the first two hours of the next day would spend clearing up the mess made from decisions that were wrong. And then he'd spend the rest of the day making decisions again. <laughs> uh, but I think it's a good way of going through it. It's just decision, decision, decision. And I think you can practice making decisions, uh, particularly if you put them off. Try making decisions. And I was remembering um, a story of the therapist, Chloe Madanes, and she had a she was working with a man who was worried about being rejected by women and so he wouldn't ask anyone out on the date a bit like you Katie trying to prevent future pain but causing a lot of anguish in his life right now and so she got him to practice making that step which was he she sent him to the bottom of an escalator at a department store and said right for each woman that comes down ask her would you like to go for a cup of tea with me and and Chloe knew full well she said look you know, no woman in the right mind is going to say, yes, you're a random guy at the bottom of an escalator. That wasn't the point. The point was, she says, well, the best case scenario, someone says, yes, he's got his confidence from talking to a woman. The worst case scenario is he gets rejected. But that's the point. He's going to practice getting rejected. And I think you can practice making decisions in a similar way. Yeah, strengthen that muscle as well. Like one of our friends, Katia, she's done a thing before where she's actually kind of given herself rewards for trying and failing because that then gets her used to trying. And actually some of the things, she, she almost found it, she found it quite hard because some of the things that she expected to fail at, she succeeded at. So her failure, she wasn't meeting her failure closer. She <laughs> so failed at failing. She failed at failing. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, uh, but yeah, like, like you say, with decision making, if you can strengthen it or 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 figure out, I think also understand which previous decisions have been good and the and the process that you went through to do that. So I can't remember where I read this, but um, relatively recently, I came across something that said make a list of the decisions that you've made might have been on the do lectures um yes make make a list of the decisions that you've made and the outcome and then you can look back and see patterns about what you know maybe what time of day you make the best decisions or what frame of mind you're in or you know did you consult with someone or did you use a particular method or did you just make it or and, and see if there's patterns and like you can look back and go okay with the benefit of hindsight i now know that these are the decisions that ended up making me happy and these are the ones that I didn't like yeah that's that's interesting Katie because because we had this debate on a whatsapp group written the other day didn't we and we had one person say the decisions and he has uh, a watertight contracts because in the past he's been burnt by not having the logic and the rationale watertight so he now has everything really rationally logically um, pinned down and then you were saying you've the, your decisions in the past where you've gone with gut feel have always worked and the ones that have caused you the pain are ones where you ignored your gut therefore you don't do the rationale you stick to your gut it was just really interesting to see the debate between the yeah, two debates yeah because he was exactly because he was saying that like he, he's found that and i think actually his type of work it you probably have to go the more rational logical way with the type of time clients he works with as well but he was saying that yeah like it, there's a lot of research that shows for a lot of businesses going with their gut actually ends up being costly and problematic because they're not being logical enough and they're not actually looking at the facts and figures whereas yeah for me I found 
in the past when I've made decisions by doing the sensible thing, I've really regretted them. Whereas when I've done what I'm in the face of it isn't sensible and gone with my gut, it's always ended up working out okay. And so now I'm a big believer in kind of yeah, listening to my gut. And actually, you know, people might be like, oh, it's a bit intangible, a bit, bit like, you know, oh, what's your gut? But actually, I think, you know, when I say my gut, I'm not trying to say like, oh, yeah, I've just got like this like instinct or whatever. It's like, no, it's probably actually, it's, it's, it's my version of logic almost because it's based on experience and it's based on sort of small factors that I'm, you know, all these little micro factors that I'm factoring in is probably what constitutes my gut. So actually, it is based on facts and evidence. They're not as tangible as things like money or whatever, which that's kind of a lot of the time when it comes down to, isn't it? Yeah. It's normally the one where you expect to get you more money. Yeah, I think, no, intuition, I think you're quite right. Intuition, I think, is often overlooked. Intuition for me is, like you say, lots of tiny different experiences or decisions from the past that have either worked well or not. And like I say, you can't put your finger on it, but all your past experiences has told you that that is the right way to go. So I don't think it is finger in the air. So, yeah, I mean... um, so just yeah logical to intuition i think while we're we're on that um should you use logic or intuition um to to make your decision and i think that's quite an interesting one isn't it yeah i think there's probably a place for both to use emotion and logic maybe actually using them together because i think there's some things where you shouldn't let emotions rule your decision making you know like Making decisions when you're angry isn't necessarily a good idea. Um, but I think there's a point where if if something has got that bad, you have to make a decision. And But, you know, like my, my partner's Danish and he always says, oh, sleep on it before you make a decision, which I think can be useful. Um, but I think sometimes you just know, like, and you don't need to sleep on it. And I think in those cases, if you... If, if again, you know, if you've looked back at your previous decisions and if you, I think it's part of how much you trust your decision-making ability. So in certain circumstances, I have ultimate 100% faith in my decision-making ability. In other areas, I find that I need to have external evidence and logic to help me. So I think it depends on how you feel. Yeah. Because you had a similar experience, Michelle, didn't you? Yeah, because I was offered, I, I only a few months after I'd become self-employed, I did some work with a company and they, are, they offered me a job where I basically I could name a salary within reason, I could name my working hours and I could choose my flexible working conditions. Um, but I desperately didn't want to be employed again because I was quite enjoying self-employment. And so I went to stay with a friend for the weekend and that was on a Friday. They said that you've got two weeks to make the decision. So I was talking to my friends, we were talking it through and often my friends and, and wife were all employed are like well that sounds amazing that sounds great you should totally do it and I was like oh, I don't know I don't know and I didn't sleep the whole night I was like well I'll sleep on it and I didn't sleep my, was, all this stuff was going through my head I had a terrible night's sleep and in the morning my friend said what are you gonna do I was like nah I'm not gonna do it I want to stay self-employed and they were like mm, yeah we got that impression when we spoke to you last night I was like why did I toss and turn all night and I was gonna take two weeks and I would have had a really really awful two weeks whereas once I made the decision I felt better so sometimes it is better just to, to weigh it up and crack on but there, there is a sort of a rule of thumb for this which is basically if you've got quite a clear tangible goal and it's the problem is fairly well structured the general rule of thumb is like you say Katie sometimes a rational or logical logical approach is easy so it's something quite quantifiable definitely use your rationale so making purchases for example is an emotional thing but the there, there is hard data or hard information you can use to weigh that up. The general rule of thumb is if you're, if the outcome, the problem is unclear, it's ambiguous and complex, and you've got very little information to go on, in those situations, you should definitely use your intuition because you don't have enough information to make the decision. So making a decision is the only way you're going to gather the information you need to make the decision. So you're better, you know, in, a, in not making decision is a decision. So you're better, therefore, to make a decision, go with it, but just be prepared to learn very quickly and pivot. There's that word again. And, and, and then make another decision. So sometimes the only way to know for sure is to jump in and to use a very personal example, you know, how do you know if someone's going to date you? Well, you could worry about it, try and get their mates to tell you something. You could try and uh, suss it out or you could just ask them and find out. And if they say no, it's a no. They say yes, it's a yes. Certain things in life, we never know until we, till we do them. Um, so I think, yeah, perhaps do your homework as best you can. 
and then maybe make a decision and that's the only that's the only way you're going to get your your information more more options aren't better either which is the other one some people think more information is going to somehow inform the decision and again I think that's quite an emotional one when I when I speak to coaching clients like sometimes people are like oh well um I once spoke to a coaching client that had post-it notes or lists everywhere I've had a few like that actually they come with all this information like more of this information or more training or doing more courses is going to solve the problem it's like yeah that's that's not helping so um David Rock suggests that the optimum number of options to have when making a decision is one he said the next best after that is two Marie Kondo perhaps has suggested five but yeah limit your options down and then go forward yeah I think exactly like, like that's kind of what we were saying before isn't it that if, you, if you've got too many you know, if you've got like a massive pros and cons list adding more things to that list isn't really going to make the decision it's almost going to water down the balance of the effectiveness of those columns if anything and so I think definitely if, if yeah if more doesn't mean better and if you're looking for more information it probably means you're trying to find something to justify the decision you've almost already made but you're just trying to find something to have that kind of confirmation for you so um i mean talking about going going with your gut again um a bit back like you were saying you know with that job that you're offered um one of the things i read recently is if it's not hell yeah it's a no and i thought that was quite interesting in terms of deciding what projects to take on and which things to do you know ask yourself do I really want to do this? And if it's hell yeah, then yeah, let's do it. And anything less is a no. I've seen something similar where you rank it on a scale of like one to 10. The eight plus is yes, you do it in terms of your enthusiasm about the project. And anything below an eight, you don't do because it's not going to, I guess it's kind of low stakes, but it's, you know, it's not going to add that value to your goals or your business. So yeah. um, that's something that I quite liked. Yeah, like I said, well, I mentioned the Marie, Marie Kondo thing earlier where she said, you know, yeah, high stakes, do it, low stakes, ditch it or automate it. Um, she did identify some middle ground. So she said, if you've got so on your index cards, the ones that aren't a hell yeah or a hell no, she, she had some middle cards and she said, okay, if you've got this kind of middle ground and you can't decide if it's a hell yeah or it's a low stakes, she, she had three questions, which was basically, you know, is it critical for your work? In which case it's a decision that you've got to make. She also said, the other thing to weigh up is not just if you have to make the decision but also does it help you towards your vision or personal goals and I think that's the other criteria as well Katie sometimes there's a good business decision but I think sometimes there's also a good personal decision that it helps you grow so oh, 100% I mean there's some work isn't there which is makes sense to do but we don't really not so keen where there's other work where it probably doesn't seem to make much business sense but if it interests you or helps you develop in a certain way or it just entertains your passions I think that's still a good to, still a good way of describing it and she um Marie Kondo does ask the question, does it spark joy? Uh, you know, the, the thing you're making a decision about. She says, if you just plain like it, then that's probably a good decision to hang on to as well. Yeah, exactly. And so then that's deciding, yeah, which ones to, to kind of keep. Um, and I think the other thing to think about as well is when you're deciding which ones, which decisions to like, yeah, kind of keep and make a decision on, I think you also need to factor in maybe other people. So like if, you, if, you're, if you're making a decision as part of a partnership or that could affect client or a relationship that you've got in business, then it is worth also thinking about how it could affect those people and if they should be involved in the decision-making process. I mean, we could probably do a whole other podcast about collaborative decision-making and all the challenges that that involves. Um, But yeah, should someone else make it for you or should you be making the decision in the first place? I guess, you know, can you delegate it? If you, you know, is it a decision that you have to take? So yeah, Katie, that's an interesting, there's a whole whole other interesting point, isn't it? Which is, do you bring other people into the decision making with you? Because some people like to bring others in the right life raft with them and others just like to go it alone. And I think there's a real art to, I mean, when do you involve others and when do you go it alone? I think it's quite, again, if it's quite low to medium stakes, a lot of those, you should just make the decision. But I think there's probably some where we probably should consult people a bit more. And I think it makes, makes for better um, decision making when we do involve with the people people just give you whole ideas that you probably wouldn't have had on your own and I think I, th- I think we need to weigh that up research shows that too many people involved in a decision is obviously going to make it harder to make but actually not enough people can do it too there's something called crit- critical mass actually and um, apparently if if we 
do this with unconscious bias if you don't have enough people in a decision making group apparently you're more likely to make a bad decision because you're likely to see the group as one homogenous group whereas if you have enough people in the group you see you have to see them all as individuals you can't lump them all together and apparently that removes unconscious bias from the decision making so there is a bit of a fine balance between too many cooks mm-hmm. but not enough to make a sound decision a bit like group think if you're making a group decision making but i guess we'll stick to individual decision making today we could be here all, here all day i guess <laughs> Yeah, exactly. So, Michelle, like, what are some practical things, like exercises or tools that we can do to help us make these decisions? If we've kind of factored in all of the emotional stuff and we've kind of got to the point where we're like, right, we know what decisions need to be made, we know what basis we're making them on, how can we actually make them? I think one of the things that I think personally makes decision making easier is to know yourself. So there's loads of information and data out there in your environment. But if you know your own values and your own priorities and that and you make those decisions in advance. And I think that's the slower, more introverted, more sort of reflective stuff that sometimes we're too busy to do. It feels indulgent. But I do this at the beginning of each year and I do it periodically throughout the year. What are my priorities? What are the most important things for me? And in this, uh, at the time of broadcasting the COVID-19 pandemic, um, obviously I've had to re-evaluate those priorities um, this year. So I think if you know your priorities and what's important to you, whenever you're faced with a decision, that will be like your compass. That's the term I use with coaching clients. It's like your compass. And if you don't know the outcome, you know what direction you want to go in. So a good tool you could do for this, some people call it like a paired comparison analysis. You could call it a priorities list, but basically just write down a list of things that are important to you and see if you can rank them in order. So if health and happiness, you could put up there. If, you know, um, good decisions for your home, you know, making profit, expanding your network, whatever they are, put rank your priorities in order. And if you're struggling with that and you've got all this criteria or things that are important to you, and you don't know how to rank them. I would say you can do it like almost like a winner stays on. So, uh, you know, having work-life balance in my business is important. Then I've got to think about making money. So is making money more important than work-life balance or lower? I might put it higher or lower. Then you bring in your next one. Does that, is it higher or lower than this one? No, it's lower. Is it higher or lower than this one? And you keep going down your list. And eventually this is called a paired comparison analysis. You can actually work it through. And I think once you've got your list of priorities, it makes it easier to create your criteria. And then whenever you get that decision uh, put your way, you already know what your criteria is. That would be my um, suggestion. But then you were talking to me earlier about the Eisenhower matrix. And I also use that a lot. Yeah, so that's the one where you've got urgent and important kind of on, on, on one axis, you know, urgent on one axis and important on another. And you kind of basically create a grid of four and there's tasks which are urgent and important, there's tasks which are important and not urgent, tasks which are... It's a four, it's a four box model. <laughs> and then, yeah, <laughs> so it fits in. Um, so that's actually, you know, that's a, a way to kind of, again, take, the, take some of the kind of thought processes out of making a decision because if you know what kind of box they go in, that makes the decision for you. If they're in urgent and important, you you do those things. If they're in, you know, the next ones to do are the, and then ideally you kind of get rid of those, so then you can work on the ones which are important but not urgent. So that's when you move from firefighting to being proactive. And the ones which are not urgent and not important, you get rid of them, you don't do them. Ones which are urgent but not important, that's when you can delegate. Yeah. So again, that can help you to decide what to do with a task or what to do with a project based on that matrix and I think Michelle what you were saying about values is really true because like where I used to work one of the things they were really really strong on was the company values and my boss always used to say if you make a decision based on the company's values it's never the wrong decision like so if you come to me and something's happened it's gone wrong or maybe I just don't you know it's something not it's not the way I would have done it if you can explain to me how you use the values to get to there then you're never going to be in trouble because you've you know you factored that in when making the decision it might not have been the same decision that she would have made but she always respected decisions that were made based on the values rather than either not making decisions because of fear of not trying stuff or just making decisions based on what we thought she wanted to hear but not actually using the values so i think that is a really important one and i think that's where your values i think are basically like the the kind of the on paper the unpaid manifestation of your gut instincts, really. Yeah. And that's part of when you say your gut instincts. Like you say, it's all those decision-making things from the past, but I think it's your values. It's 
about what what's important and what matters. And I think that I think for me, when I make a gut, gut decision, I think my values are massively informing that decision. So I think making decisions based on values, and again, having those as a sort of policy almost, or a you know, you, you can formally write them down, or you might just instinctively know what they are. But knowing, am I going to feel a bit? It's like, am I going to feel a bit icky if I do this decision? And if the answer is yes, that probably means it conflicts with your values. Yeah, and I would I would write them down, Katie. There's something about bringing them to you know what they are, but bringing them to the service and just seeing them there almost cements it, and then it's easier to refer back to it. Um, so I think that's abs- a- a- you know absolutely right in terms of your values. When I used to work for a bank, uh, particularly when trust went out of banking, they had something called a yes check, and it was just five questions you would ask yourself before making a decision. And everyone in the company had permission to challenge, even the most senior of people, because we we're all signed up to it. So they would basically say, um, would people outside the organisation say this was a good decision? Yes or no? Um, what will I- will I look back on this in five years' time and still think of this as a as a good decision? Yes. Or no so it's kind of like five questions you could answer and if you got a yes to all of them then you could go ahead and make it so you could replace those questions with anything you like or you could ask yourself you know does it make is it good for me yes is it good for the customer yes uh, does it make me money yes uh, is it legal yes great good decision <laughs> do you know what i mean so you can do this however you like but have uh, it may probably no more than five but somewhere like between three and five criteria whatever you whatever makes a good decision for you and just have that and like i say that's a decision you've already made about decisions it makes it easier for you next time yeah, yeah. definitely um one of the things I found really helpful, actually, when we talk about kind of practical exercises was something I did with you, Michelle, where we did a kind of grid scoring system. I got my whiteboard out and it was around deciding uh, for, for the kind of for my new website um, and just for my new kind of business and everything, like with a new brand. I'm still doing website training, but it was about working out what products and services to offer and which ones to focus on. And so we wrote out what's important in terms of the factors influencing that decision. I think there probably were four or five. It was um, how much do I enjoy it? How much? Um, how how much does it? Yeah, does it make? How much? How much do I enjoy it? How much money does it make me compared to the amount of time I spend on it? Um, does it does it um, fit in with my kind of lifestyle requirements? Um, so, like for example, I like I, I like work where I can go you know spontaneously decide to go and get in the sea or whatever. Like if there's good wave conditions, I want to be able to go surfing. So, does it fit within that? And there's a couple of other criteria that I can't remember now, but um, maybe is it popular? Anyway, is there a demand for it possibly? But yeah, there's various... And so basically scored each product or service based on those. And then that allowed me to make a really objective decision by looking at it and going, oh, okay. And actually some of the some of the outcomes were surprising. Some of the things that were high scoring weren't what I would necessarily have chosen to focus on. But actually, when I looked at it, I was like, yeah, objectively, that just makes a lot of sense to focus on that. Um and, and actually kind of push that as a service. So um, I think that's something that can really help if you're, if you're rather than a pros and cons list, I think it's a bit more of a sophisticated version of it. Like, I mean, yeah, scoring different things based on criteria. Yeah, I think that works. And the, the other thing that can make it easier is to give it a weighting. So you can do this with even complex stuff like career decisions. So uh, you can put your career criteria but if, I don't know, work-life balance or distance from home, you know, the amount of distance you're willing to travel is more important than the money, then you can give that a greater weighting. So either keep it as a scoring, a simple scoring system, or then you, after you've done your scoring, have another column, add your weighting, and even just a scoring system, a one to five, a weighting a one to five. You don't have to be a mathematician to do it. Even I can handle it, and that's not my cup of tea at all. So um, a, nice, a nice weighting scoring system works really well as well. And I think the other thing that we sort of mentioned at the very beginning of the podcast is actually if you've made good decisions that have worked in the past then just keep repeating them like um so apparently like tim ferris eats the same breakfast every day and like you know obviously steve jobs with his clothes and stuff like that it's kind of like like yeah if 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 that decision worked for you in the past then keep doing it and maybe review it every so often to make sure it's still working for you but yeah if there's something that you can like it's almost automating yourself isn't it 
Yeah, I've, I, I, I buy the same porridge oats because, you know, I'm quite fussy about that. So I use the same ones. I use the same notepad, uh, same brand of notepad. I, whenever I go to the supermarket, just buy the same brand of notepad. Um, are there other ones out there? Would I like choosing notepads? You know, if you go into, what's the shop? Fred Aldous in Manchester. I could be there for hours. Probably not a very good use of my time as much as I enjoy it. So yeah, like you say, Katie, crack on. And I think finally, um, probably last tip here is, you know, the, the decision-making process um is it should probably go roughly like this i saw this in a course i run once which is it firstly says if you're making a decision firstly make sure you create the right conditions so we mentioned being emotional earlier if you're uh, going for a bit of emotional time probably not the best time to make a good decision so make sure you've got the right support do you need other people do you need more information so get the conditions right then do your up and out thinking. And I always get this confused, Katie. This is your divergent thinking, I think, if I've got that right. Your up and out thinking. So you generate as many, many options and ideas as you can possibly do. Do your brainstorming and get creative. And it's important to do this first because then you're not limiting yourself. So get in a calm. Again, David Rocks is a calm, kind of quite a relaxed, happy state and do as much idea generation as you can. And then the next step is to weigh up, pick some options, evaluate some key options that you've got. And then the ultimate thing to do next is to decide just once you've weighed up your options, if they're all good, make a decision. And then the next step in the process is then to review the decision and if necessary, tweak, either keep, tweak or make a new decision. And it's like a cycle. So it's conditions, it's uh, options, it's, uh, it's sorry, it's conditions, it's generating options, evaluating options, decide, review and crack on. And you just repeat that cycle. So if you want a bit of a process. That's, the, that's how I suggest you do it if you want to move through it fairly, fairly seamlessly. Fab. Well, like on every episode, we always like to end with one tip to rules morals so we try and choose our favorite tip or maybe something we haven't mentioned yet and if we could just do one thing to solve this problem what would it be so michelle what would that be for you if you could just do one thing on the topic of decision making oh yeah normally i'd say create your values list so whatever decision you throw your way use it as a compass but i've probably chosen that for quite a few podcasts so that always that's a given so that's a bit of a cop out but then i think the second one is i actually <laughs> as a, a bit of a new intriguing one that I've, I've not tried myself but might give a go is the is the Marie Kondo one of actually a bit like your clothes in your wardrobe maybe have a go at getting all of your decisions out on the table appreciate just how many you make and start eliminating some of the ones that just aren't worth your time that's such a good point actually yeah like if, if there's ones that you don't even know that you're making you can't you know, control them. So yeah, get get them. You know, you can't manage what you can't see almost. So I think that makes a lot of sense. And you, Katie? Um, I think yeah, I think mine is probably actually work out the emotion behind if you're struggling to make a decision, work out what the emotion sitting behind it is. I, I think that I think that's one you said, but that really resonated with me to say like, okay, if I'm struggling to make this, is there a reason why I'm trying to hide from it? Am I scared of something or whatever? Um, and then try and work out a way to take the either to process the emotion or to take the emotion out of the equation for that decision so that'd be mine so yeah if you have any other thoughts on decision making or any of the other topics that we've talked about please feel free to get in touch and let us know we are at 99 problems cast on twitter that's the number 99 problems and then cast as in podcast and of course if you want to make sure you get all of our next episodes then please subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you're stuck for some inspiration on different topics whilst you're locked down, then feel free to browse our back catalogue. We've got, this is episode 53, so we've got more than 50 episodes for you to look through. And a lot of them cover really useful topics for dealing with work in these trying times that we're in at the moment. But they're also relevant outside of a global pandemic too. So listen to them now and then they will sort you out for your your future business life as well. Um, so we will see you next time for another episode of 99 Problems, but a boss ain't one. Hi folks, it's Katie here from 99 Problems, but a boss ain't one. Before we crack on with the episode, I just wanted to apologise for the poor sound quality on my side in this episode. Like a dunce, I recorded using the computer microphone rather than the normal podcasting microphone in an already echoey room. So the sound quality isn't great. I've tried to edit it as best I can, but there are places where it is a little bit muffled or a little bit echoey. However, this has been one of my favourite episodes that I've recorded with Michelle. So if you can bear with the sound, I think you'll get some really great tips and insights all around decision making. And now on to the episode.